Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin, joined by 27-year-old Kenneth Liu, CEO and co-founder of Seedly, and 29-year-old Chu Ti Ming, Chief Tech Officer and co-founder of Seedly. And these young men are joining me because we are talking about millennials and personal finance. So, mm-hmm. lessons that millennials should keep in mind when it comes to mastering their money. Good morning, guys. Morning. Good morning. 27 and 29, and co-founders of Seedly. For people out there listening in. Seedly is a financial comparison site, and they very much share the mission that we have here on Money and Me, which is making everything to do with the world of finance very accessible. So, uh, first up, what do you hear about when it comes to working millennials and their personal finances? What are the biggest pain points? I think um, the most common problems that we are hearing from the Seedly community uh, is, you know, uh, I'm not in control of my expenses. Uh, I don't know where the money has gone um, to every month. So, um, at the end of the month, I don't have much money left. So basically, living paycheck to paycheck. Mm. Um, some people also complain that um, they are unsure of how much they are. They, sh- they should allocate their money to, to the various buckets. Like, um, how much should I spend? How much should I save? How much should I invest? And I think some of them also mentioned that um, they are they are unsure of how to get started with investing. So mm. these are the few problems that we are constantly hearing on, yeah. on the Sydney. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So, so actually, one one more thing to add is usually when uh, they start working, when they start receiving, you know, from zero dollars of paycheck to let's say three thousand dollars, the gulf is so huge. So you actually never know what to do with that first inflow of income. So that's one of the biggest pain points because you don't detect that problem immediately. It usually comes in one month later, two months later, and you start realizing that you have a lot of excess income. Excess income. Yeah. So I think the problem is you're so poor. You're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Because from zero dollars to three thousand dollars, you suddenly have a lot more money to mm. deal with. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And then if you start overspending, that's oh, when and the then that's going to show up next comes. month. Exactly. And then the month after. Exactly. It rolls on and on. And then you're in, you're treading deep water. You have no idea how to get out. So yeah, exactly. I take your point. Actually, it's interesting. You're seeing more people wanting to learn to invest as well. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think there's great a great deal more awareness yeah. in this day and age. I think technology changing, yes. allowing it to uh, investing to be more accessible to mm. the masses, yeah. has also brought about an increase yeah. in this hunger. Yeah. Was Was these some of the pain points that you all experienced when starting? And was that part of the reason why you wanted to start Seedly? Yeah, yeah. So. I, I think um, the reason why we started Seedly was because both of us were still in school, mm. so we were you know trying to save up some money to plan for the future. So we were constantly trying to keep track of our expenses. Mm. I think. Um, uh, the, the main problem that we face is tracking expenses is very tedious. Uh, mm. You have to manually track it one by one. You know how much you spend on your lunch, how much you spend on your dinner. Mm. Uh, I, I think I think that's the reason why we built Sidley, where we have this feature where you can import your transactions from bank accounts. That's where it started, right? Yes, yeah, that's, yeah, where, it that's where, with, where it started. Yeah. yeah. So because, these were paid. Mm, yep. Go ahead. Uh, like versus an Excel sheet. You know, Excel sheets are usually very tedious, and you always assumed Excel sheets are for accountants and auditors. But you know, when it comes to personal finances. Is there a simpler way? We thought that there should be a simpler way to do it, um, which is why the, I think the first idea of Sidley came about. Yeah, mm. I thought that was brilliant. That's how I first met you because I downloaded your app awesome. and I used it and Thank I thought you. it was cool. just genius. Okay, so 
Let's talk about whether these problems that millennials find themselves in the working millennials of number one, living paycheck to paycheck, or number two, not being able to figure out should I save fifty percent, spend fifty percent, uh, or, or because they're just flush with cash, they find themselves overspending. Mm-hmm. Any of these avoid- avoidable? Uh, yeah, maybe I'll share from the point of view of this idea called paying yourself first. So I'm sure it's been sort of repeated many times, but I think it's important to have that habit the moment you graduate because the longer you delay, your habits start to change accordingly. Mm. So what does paying yourself first means is when your employer pays you, let's say $3,000, you actually segment it into buckets. So you have um, savings, you have spending, and then you have the wealth account. So usually a savings account would be probably about 30%. The spending would be about 50%. And then the wealth would be the remaining uh, 20%. So that's how to sort of give every dollar a job so that you exactly know what the money buckets are used for. Uh, and it builds the habit before spending everything. 30% save. 30, 50, 20. 3, 5, 2. 3, 5, 2. Okay. Oh, yeah. So 30% save, right? Saving, yes. 50% spend. Yes. And 20% what? Invest. Invest. Have a wealth account. Something that dollar cost averages or buys into the market or start investing in the STI ETF, which is a very normal first step for most beginner investors because mm. you can start with $100 as well. Yeah. Uh, from some of the banks, uh, robo-advisors as well. Yeah. Mm. Or you could mm-hmm. look for penny stocks. Penny stocks. Start uh, there too. A bit more risky. Yeah. But, yeah. Definitely but, uh, more risky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe blue chips, blue chips, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think that's some yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, but many millennials when they're out of school, and I know I felt this when I graduated, mm-hmm. and I, you know, realized, hey, I have student loans. So what I did was I decided to double the amount of payment that I would have mm. to make every month because I was I was obsessed with clearing my student loan early. Mm. And mind you, I signed up for double my payments even before I had a job after nice. graduating. Mm. Okay, that was panic. That was yeah. panicking time. But what do you think about millennials? and their student loans and any advice in paying it off? Yeah, I, I definitely agree on your strategy. Um, basically, th- trying to double and try to clear your debt as soon as possible. I've had this experience where uh, I was trying to clear my student debt. Uh, I think what was helpful was try to actually save up some money before you, you graduate. Maybe work part-time during the holidays. Mm. Uh, try to get, get some money before you graduate so that you can pay partially some of the debt. The other thing that I would highly recommend also is to take as little loan as you need mm. uh, and also repay the loan as fast as possible. So, I mean, if you donate a 40k loan, try to loan as little as you need, basically. Mm. Uh, I, I think the last part also um, is, the, is more of the strategy of repaying your debt. So, I think um, there's two ways that you can repay your debt. Uh, so, either you take a bank loan or you could take a CPF education scheme loan. Mm. Uh, I think these two are the main uh, way that you can repay. So um, the idea is uh, to really uh, try to figure out how long you will take to repay them. So I I think some cases where um, you plan to repay them in a few years, like three, four years, I think maybe the bank loan will make more sense. And uh, the the main reason is because the interest rate actually kicks in right after you graduate uh, versus the SPF education loan. You will straight away uh, kickstart once the um, amount is loaned out from the account. Mm. So it's quite slightly different. Oh, in terms of Mm. when you decide to start repaying. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's another often question that we get from the community mm. which is between deciding to pay off my loan and investing which should I do first right, yeah. out, right out of college yeah right? that's a question that's come in as well actually oh okay yeah. yeah so we get that a lot our advice is always to pay down your loan first because investing in many of the sense it's a little bit more risky and your idea of returns probably be between 5, 6, 7% but when you actually pay off your loan it's the guaranteed returns you can think of it as guaranteed returns of 2 to 3% of the amount that you're paying because 
because when you clear down your debt, you're actually sort of not paying so much interest back to the bank or CPF in that sense. So versus something that's guaranteed and something that could potentially have some drawdown, it makes sense to go for the guarantee option first to clear down your your debt, build up your emergency funds and then start to look to invest. Mm. So rather than doing everything at one shot, you know, you're neither here nor there, it can get quite messy. Yeah, people trying to figure out, you know, if if my bank loan, this is the interest rate that I'm paying, Mm -hmm. should I just free Mm -hmm. up the liquidity Mm -hmm. and then invest it instead? But I think that's a sound uh, strategy there. Mm -hmm. Pay off that Mm -hmm. student loan, then you will be free. Build that emergency fund because you never know. Then invest. So no need to jump straight in. The only kind of loans which I think makes sense um, to have, it's of course the home loan and mortgage because Mm. it's something that is a very long tenure. So it's usually interest rates between 1.5% to 2.5-2.6%. And that's something that is predictable and you can manage. So understanding how much you need to pay for that loan and then investing outside of that amount, I think makes a lot more sense. Versus a student loan where it's like, let's say 30,000, 40,000, you should aim to clear that off as fast as possible first before moving on to your investments. Okay, so 27, 29, have you paid off your student loans? Yes. Yes. Um, but for those out there who are suffering because they have high student loan repayments every month, what advice do you have for them? Just soldier on, try to widen the pot? So I, I think, uh, again, sharing on my personal experience, mm-hmm. I think firstly, uh, try to if you have multiple debts, try to reorder your debts by interest. Mm-hmm. So uh, try to clear the debts with the highest interest rate. Not uh, the smallest amount. Um, there's, there's two ways. There's two ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's two ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, what uh, makes financial sense is try to clear the ones with higher interest rate because that's the one that will cause you to incur more interest mm. yes. from the loan. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the other one that you mentioned, uh, I think is what they call it is the snowball method. Yeah, psychologically where, it feels like yeah, you've yeah, accomplished yeah. something yeah. if yeah. you can like scratch off that correct, loan. Correct, correct, correct. So basically what you have to do is to try to reorder your uh, debt by the smallest amount on top. So try to clear the smallest amount first mm. so that you can you know, check off that's that. one option or mm. you can go with uh, the other option yeah. yes, yes, reordering yeah. Yeah. by interest which is what teaming recommends yes yeah the, I think the first option works very well for like mm. credit card debt because credit card debt is like 27-28% it's crazy yeah. never yeah. ever get into credit card debt with recurring payments and annual fees and late fees it keeps stacking mm. so between a 27% loan uh, which is a credit card debt versus a 2% home loan you should definitely look to clear you know, the, the one with the highest interest because that's going to compound downwards actually I hope mm. we're inspiring you to make yeah. better money decisions that <laughs> is the whole point of money and me and my guest on the show Kenneth Liu CEO and co-founder of Seedly and Chu T. Ming CTO and co-founder of Seedly a financial comparison site and they have quite a tribe that's growing and they take questions as well yes. and it's sort of like crowdsourcing Source. for ideas exactly right? Yeah, we believe the future is uh, user generated yeah so yeah me too everything is about the community the questions and answers they don't come from us they come from the people who are a lot smarter than us on the mm. community yeah I think there's something about that hive brain exactly when you tap into law of large numbers (laughs) (laughs) okay so moving on when it comes to buying a home there's so much that's changed in terms of maybe the fees the amount of cash you have to put down for that deposit what sort of challenges are you hearing from millennials yeah, I think when it comes to home um, prices over the years, definitely, I think we can all agree that it's increased dramatically. I think in the 20 years ago, let's say in 2000, and on, on average, a house would, a HDB four room would have cost you between 150k to 200k. Wow. Right now, I just got my BTO <laughs> in Ubi, <laughs> Congrats. right? And it's 475k. 
for four-room uh, BTO as well. So you can see that there, there was a, almost a 100% increase in price just for a first home buyer, even with cooling measures and everything that the government has put in place. And then on the flip side, you look at the wage um, increase. Uh, there seems to be some wage stagnation in many industries. Um, less tech, right? So tech is inflated wages. But in every other industry, you get... Um, really a very incremental increase in salary. So probably 1%, 2% per year. So if you look at the Gulf, there's a really, really big gap between what a home costs versus what you can actually earn from your regular day job. So that was the biggest one that we hear a lot of like questions and complaints about as well right. in the community. Yeah. So when a millennial is looking to buy that first home, you know, again, there's two ways you can think about it. You're going to be able to have some equity to get a loan from the bank. So are you going to then, you know, try to bank on that loan so that you can make money off that property with a five mm-hmm. to 10 year horizon mindset? Or are you going to go for immediate affordability and try to pay off the, you know, pick a house that you can pay off almost immediately with your CPF? I think it's different mindsets. So we actually ran a survey with our community as well. We actually asked them, do you see a home as an investment or a place to stay? So we get very diverse responses because some people have the flipping mindset, you know, five years, 10 years after the MOP, the minimum occupancy period, you, you look to try to sell your, your flat to someone else. But then there's another group which feels that you've got a good location, you want to build your family there. So it really depends which fits that profile. And when it comes to the financing options, a lot of them usually go for the CPF loan first. I think the CPF home loan has a lot more benefits than taking a bank loan right off the bat because of the flexibility. Uh, even though the interest is a bit higher, yep. um, you actually get the flexibility of you know paying using um, your CPF OA, of course, number one. Second thing is that um, the rates don't fluctuate along with the bank rates. Millennials, how can they plan so that they can afford that first property? Any advice there? It's how do you plan to be able to afford that first property of yours. So you just bought mm-hmm. your BTO, right? Yeah. I mean, how many years of planning went into that, oh, no, for example? Personally, it was really long uh, ah. because I've been together with my other half for about nine years now before deciding that, you know, this is really the time to settle down. And I think we have this funny hobby on the side. So every Saturday and Sunday, we'll set aside one hour, two hours to plan our money to see where it is. And it's a bonding activity for for me personally. So uh, I think couple finances, you have to really understand each other's money principles to begin with uh, and to align on that as well. So I think the house is the biggest um, decision for us because, you know, it's the biggest chunk of amount that we'll need to pay off, right? Mm. So I think understanding how much loan you, you need to pay and whether you have enough for down payment, those two are the main two uh, uh, levers you will have to figure out. So down payment, number one, whether you can afford it with your CPF OA combined. And the second one is whether you can take up enough loan um, for the loan repayment, which most of the time working adults at about 25, 26, 27 years old, you should be fine if you've been working for two years years, three years. Yeah, that's our study as well. Yeah, I like that. Uh, mm. Whatever it is, it has should be a joint conversation. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. Because yeah. you both want to be able to contribute mm-hmm. and live in a home that you both enjoy. Yep. Right? So planning, I suppose, uh, will differ according to each couple's decision or when they want to really settle down for themselves. Did you ever consider renting? Not for me. I don't know. Not for me. Yeah. So. No, straight to buying. Yeah, yeah I think in yeah. Singapore, we have one of the world's highest home property uh, ownership rates. 
rates. Uh, yes. Rates, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a very common idea to aim to have your own home right off uh, when you start working, when you start having a family. Great. Mm. So reports show that millennials at risk of becoming a lost generation because of underemployment, high living costs, student loans. Mm. Do, you, do you agree? Okay, this is a, a very unique question which we, we were thinking of as well. Um, but we actually don't quite agree with this statement because mm. actually to us, millennials uh, are a very DIY bunch. They have the wealth of information of Google and, and everything on the web. So they take it upon themselves to usually learn how to invest and how to invest smartly in a very low-cost manner. With uh, advancements like robo-advisors, you have different new products like the ETF and index funds. The costs are a lot lower than what our parents had to go through. Uh, and lot sizes also has come down. So you can buy fraction shares, you can buy a lot smaller uh, lot sizes. So with all these advancements, we find that there's increasingly an uptake of DIY investing and understanding what you're actually putting your money into mm. versus buying an investment plan or, or ILP, things like that, which is probably something that was more prevalent like in our parents' generation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, data is the new oil, one exactly. of my guests said recently. Data is profit, if you think about it. You know, knowledge yeah. is not only power, knowledge is profit. Yep. So what do you say to millennials who want to grow their wealth, um, but they feel, okay, I don't have enough at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm worried about my employment because I hate my boss. Mm. And uh, I have student loans to manage. Yeah. Yep. So we actually have like a five-step kind of idea to, to know whether you're ready to, um, to start growing your wealth. I think the step one is actually to look at your overall net worth, to understand your assets and liabilities uh, and understand whether you are in a position to actually start investing. The second one is to look at your cash flow, to understand your ins and outs of your money and where is it coming in and where is it going out every month. And then the third one is to actually set up your accounts, which I mentioned earlier which regards to your savings, your, your spending and your wealth accounts. And then the last one is to understand your debt repayment. So understanding all these things, where does your debt, uh, how much of it actually goes to your debt and then the balance you can actually look to invest. So it's actually a very methodical process that we've often published as well on our online, in our community. Understanding your net worth again, um, understanding your cash flow and then next to set out your account and pay, um, start a routine. There's something so empowering about just starting an account. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a savings account or an investing account. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. So you've got to start somewhere. So take yeah. action. Yes. The first step is to start. It's never too early or too late. I think that's what we always embody like at Sydney, because it's about planting your first seed, which mm -hmm. is yeah, it's quite a funny name. I like that <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there, you know, a lot of Singaporeans find they want to take care of their parents. They have to take care of themselves. This is the sandwich generation, right? So, what what are you hearing from millennials when it comes to helping their parents plan for their retirement as well, and, and also hmm. saving for their retirement? What are they experiencing? Yeah, I think this is again a very common um, problem that a lot of millennials face, uh, but they don't go around telling all their friends that you know oh, I have to care for my family, and I I'm trying to start my own family. So what should I do? So I think the the first thing is to understand what situation you're in uh, and also uh, first of all understand that it's possible own experience from my own um, parents so the, the story is as such they started off working without nothing like they had nothing in the bank they came out to work they worked very hard dual income so mm. both my mom and my dad were working and what happened was that their parents also didn't have much to live on so they had to constantly keep contributing 20% of their monthly take-home to their parents. Right. And beyond that, 60% went into raising me and my brother. So that's a lot of tuition, you know, uh, living expenses, things like that. 
Then the remainder of that, they put into investments. So the, the remainder 20% goes into investments for the future. So they had very little savings to go on beyond their emergency savings. But the idea is that they understand the situation they're in. They want to get out of it as fast as possible. So it's always about planning for the future so that they didn't have me to become another sandwich generation. So wow. now she's retired. But me and my brother, will still contribute 20% of our take-home to her every wow. month. Yeah, it's a way of like giving back and it's a mentality. I, I don't think that should be a bench but yeah. it's every family has a different kind of understanding of how much you should contribute back to your parents. Yeah, That is wonderful. Did they have like a big break moment, you know, on block sale or the they total had, price? They were lucky with property. They yeah. were. Okay. I think moving on from property to property was something that I think most Singaporeans who are baby boomers would have probably experienced as well mm. because the property wave really caught up and they could upgrade from the HDB to a condo or yeah, if they were in a good position. Mm, yeah. But they didn't just bank on that. Yeah. They also diversified, so to exactly. speak, and were investing from get-go. Exactly. And, and I think shout out to uh, Income because they actually gave an amazing ad recently that was heavily shared everywhere about mm. the sandwich generation. I don't know if you saw. I don't think I did. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll share it with hey, you thanks. later. Um, the idea is that they want the millennials to be the last sandwich generation. So they were like, hashtag last sandwich generation. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> what a great movement. Yeah, because I think that that is something that should stop because your, your kids are not your retirement plan. Yes. I think as yeah. something that is... A lot of millennials like to echo. Here's a question from a listener. Cool. Uh, Kenneth, you mentioned that you talk to your fiancé very often about managing your finances. Yes. This listener says, I'm having difficulties trying to discuss my to- finances with my partner. Kenneth, can you advise me how I can bring up the topic of money and, and talk about it freely and frequently with my partner? Yeah, so we wrote about this extensively. Uh, it's under couple budgeting and couple finances. I think the first starting point is that uh, full transparency needs to be there. Mm. So you need to know, uh, you need to be comfortable enough with your partner to share how much you're earning, how much you're spending. And I think the first step is to set up a joint account. So I think by doing that action, it sets a standard of how much each should contribute to a joint account um, that earns, let's say, 1% per annum interest. But the idea of setting that routine and a gyro, so every month it goes into that account, it starts the base. So you and your partner know that you're in it for the long run. I think that's the important piece when it comes to couple finances. Um, but at the same time, you should also have your own finances where you invest on your own, you should save on your own. But by having that JA, it creates the bedrock. And I think from there, it should get easier because you now know that you are in it together. I like that. Walk yeah. the talk. Yep. Again, start with that account and start contributing because that really shows that I'm not just all blabber and we're just going to talk yeah. about this. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're working on it together exactly. and you're in it for each other. Final words of advice, guys, from our listeners. I think, first of all, um, track your expenses. Know where your money is going. I think, I think from there on, uh, it's a lot easier to plan out. It starts with awareness, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah definitely. Uh, another one would be join a community. Um, speaks about money openly. I think by listening to the radio show or even joining the Sydney community as well, you actually know that money is something that we should talk about. Even That's as fun. Asians, right? Asians, yeah. you know, it's a bit more taboo. But No, we love now. talking about money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it can be very fun on Sydney. It can be very fun, yeah. As it well. can be very fun here too. Yes. <laughs> Guys, it's always a joy to speak with you. Uh, to very bright 27 and 29 year olds. Kenneth Lewis, CEO and co-founder of Seedly. Chu Ming, CTO and co-founder of Seedly. What a tribe they've grown. And uh, 
they're really keeping the, the momentum of this whole movement of understanding your finances going. So we're thrilled to have them with us here on Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.